Welcome to the Cowcast, episode 38, Shop Talk. Alrighty, welcome back. I'm Eric. I am James. And I think, James, this episode we're gonna we're gonna talk about a few things that we've had a lot of people asking us about both in the store as well as through email and other means, and that's okay. It's kind of Marvel in general. Like what is Marvel doing? What's going on? What's the feeling? Things like that. So you you know pretty much the, the big things mm-hmm. that we're talking about. C.B. Sabilski coming in, Brian Michael Bendis leaving. Uh, there's been a little bit of a flurry of lenticular discussions in the retailer sphere. Not how do we always win at the pub trivia? No, but we do win. We're good at that. At least the two of us. Mm-hmm. So, and, Well, we had box the first time, and so the three of us did good, too. Yeah, we win. But uh, no, pub trivia is fun. We just got back from that, and we just decided, you know what? It's time to record again. It's the new year. It's 2018. Um, we did also have a request for kind of a 2017 recap, but I think we've really we've got two episodes that we want to do a little bit more pulling together of things. So the 2017, we want to go through some more numbers. We want to really get a nice wrap-up of that. Um, and then we also have the grading part two that yep. we've talked about. I have it ready to go. Yep. But everything is back. It's just got to be... Pull the trigger. Yes. So that will be coming. Uh, And the 2017 one, the reason that people are probably like, well, you're well into 2018 now. You should probably know 2017. For taxes, yes, we do. But um, there's been a lot going on in the store. We've bought a lot of collections over the last couple of weeks. We've seen... We've actually added a couple of product lines. Uh, It's just been really busy coming through the holidays and everything. So... Yes, we did get everything taken care of for the bookkeeping and whatnot, but we want to go back and, and give a real fair representation of what 2017 really kind of mm-hmm. was. So we'll do that at a later time. So this time, the biggest things, this happened kind of Thanksgiving time and through Christmas was some of the Marvel stuff. So which one do you want to talk about first? What do you, what do you want to get off your chest? Uh, well, the first thing, we kind of we kind of had an idea that something was going to happen with Alonzo. Yeah, of, uh, yep. What we had been told uh, from certain people in the industry, and it was not a huge surprise when it happened. But yep. well, but I don't know it was kind of a, it was kind of a shock that they would that they would go ahead and make that decision. And we know that he did not um, he did not take it as well as maybe we we expected. I think what surprised us a little bit, or I should say maybe we weren't expecting, was I think we both agreed that we expected to see stuff Q1 2018. Mm-hmm. And this happened before the holiday break of, of 2017, right. shortly after Legacy. And it just seemed like it was an awkward timing. Like you're barely out of the gates with Legacy and you're making this change. It seemed like it would have been... It would have fit better prior to Legacy coming out, being announced, or at least give it legs to run before you do something. So I think that's what kind of at least caught so they, me a little they off. They fired Axel. Yeah. Then they kind of brought Joe Quesada back in and said he's going to have more of a more of a yeah, yeah. He's going to kind of be running the ship like he was back during the uh, Bill Jamas Ultimate Marvel days, but ultimately CB. 
Sabilski, Sabolski, Sabulski, is going to be taking over. CBC. There you go. Yeah. Um, but then there was a little bit of drama with him. With uh, that's right. With, with Akira Yoshida, because he was. Uh, this is when he was working as an editor. Was it over in Japan? Uh, Somewhere in the Asian know, market. I don't think he was necessarily in Japan. He was, he worked, was working in the, for the Asian market for Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yep. And so the, basically, there's kind of a conflict, conflict of interest or whatever, mm-hmm. being both an editor and a contributing creator or writer. Right. So he ended up uh, kind of having a pen name of Akira Yoshida. Yep. And to make a very long story short, a lot of people in Marvel said, well, I met him. Because they had some translator that had come to the office or something? Something like that, yeah. So a lot of people thought that, this, that they had met this Akira Yoshida, including um, some of the, the, the top brass More the senior Marvel. level, yeah. Yep. And uh, he ended up doing some, I think it was a Dreamwave? Yep. Sounds right. He wrote right. some Dreamwave, and he wrote some books for other companies while he was still employed at Marvel. So he becomes editor-in-chief, replacing uh, Axel Alonso, and then has to kind of disclose the stuff that that he had done under this pen name. And um, I don't know, I guess because of the atmosphere that we live in now, uh, it ended up being a it ended up being quite controversial. Yes. To put it kindly. Well, in, in Akira Yoshida actually has I mean, it's a lengthier list of Things that he's written than than I have. So we've got, you know, we've got some Conan and the Demons, Elektra, Hellboy, Marvel Adventures, Marvel Halloween, you know, Thor, Wolverine, X-Men, Extra, X-Men Age of Apocalypse, X-Men Kitty Pride. So there's a little bit of a smattering of things. So there was enough there that Mm -hmm. it kind of fueled the fire. And then, of course, in today's day and age of social media where things can fan from just a little smoldering to an all-out fire pretty quick. Yeah. It became it became something that was known. Yeah, and again, he uh, supposedly he disclosed it before they made him editor-in-chief. But um, I don't know if they necessarily, you know, identified the repercussions from that being made public. Right. So... Uh, it seems to have, you know, I haven't heard much from him. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen much that he's done. No. I've heard a lot more from Joe Q mm-hmm. since uh, Alonzo was fired, but uh, I haven't heard much from Sibulski at all. Yeah, and I think, um, no, so the main contact that we hear about that most people would recognize by name is David Gabriel, mm-hmm. right? Because he's kind of their publishing arm, their, their uh, retailer communication arm. So that's who we continue to get the most back and forth from. Yeah, he's he's the face of Marvel for a retailer. For retailers, yeah. Yep. I think what this whole Akira y- Yoshido thing, or Yoshida, that what really is the, the piece that makes people a little concerned or leery is if you go to his website, digi-akira.net, and you look at his profile, it says that he was born in the Gunma Prefecture, hmm. <laughs> you know, and so he's definitely, yeah, he, he's perpetrating a pretty good 
lie about who he is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not uncommon that writers go under a pen name. I think mm-hmm. we can all agree that there's some artists that well, were... Well, Stephen King did it a lot. I mean, right. even uh, even a lot of current comic writers right now did it. Well, I highly... When they, when they used to be editors and write for... Yeah, exactly. Marvel or DC. Exactly. And I'm sorry, if, if this is truly his last name, that's p- pretty freaking awesome. But I don't know if Jonas Goonface <laughs> is actually a born-given name. Uh, Jonas, probably. Goonface, I'm probably thinking not. But hey... Either way, it's not uncommon for people to adapt different different names for creative purposes. Uh, well, uh, one of the most commonly known but unknown is Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss was definitely not a doctor, and his last name was not Seuss. No. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of that. So that's not, But it all fans up you into know, being this should, bigger issue. We and, should have gotten Kent to weigh in on this, too. <laughs> but, and again, we haven't heard anything from him. We haven't seen any course correction. We mm-hmm. haven't seen any change in direction. Um, the only thing that has happened with Legacy well, is that we've a, seen thir- 13 titles canceled. Yeah, I was going to say they, they but, did a lot of cancellations. But let's but, be honest. We knew those titles were going to be canceled anyways, just looking at their sales numbers. That's Yeah, but that's kind of a whole other... That's, that's almost a different topic. It is, but at the same time, there's been no no direct reach out from C.B. Sapolsky. And I'm not saying that he has mm-hmm. to reach out to retailers. There's been nothing, period. Which is odd. You would think that bringing somebody in there would have been at least yeah, but I don't ever remember Alonzo reaching out. Well, I just I, let's I look at it this way: when Jeff Johns was promoted, there was a lot of DC fanfare. There was a lot mm-hmm. of Jeff Johns coming out and saying different things, like you know how excited he was, different areas of the facets of the business that he was going to look after, um, things that he was going to sure, let go of. I, so I mean, like there's there's things you can do. But I had an ordering issue the other day, and I emailed David Gabriel. I'm sure you saw that. I, I did and, see that, um, and he took care of it within 24 hours. Yeah, um, I don't. You know, I don't need to hear back from. You don't need to Sibirsky hear back from or Alonzo or these guys. Like, if I have an issue, but um, doesn't it I'm seem reach- weird that you've got a major change in your Marvel leadership, and it's silent, and sort the of. only thing you hear is this question of who's who's this Akira Yoshida guy. Like, yeah, it, but it seems like there's just something going on that we right, don't know. First off, the big problem that I have is that I have heard... And I'm really just being an antagonistic person here. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, X-Men Blue and Gold are going to be canceled this year. Yeah. And that they're going to be replaced by... I mean, honestly, if they would just keep the numbering but rename them as Uncanny, Uncanny and as X-Men... Yep. Uh, I would be fine with it, but if they're going to cancel more books and do another relaunch at a new number one or at legacy numbering, um, I don't know. I mean, they're at the point right now where they're we have customers who are very, very sick of it. And I think if yep. they do another relaunch within six months of right now, I think they're going to risk a lot of uh, a lot of very upset customers who may be done. Drinking at the Marvel well. Yeah, and I think that it's a shame because there's certain facets of the Marvel business that that are starting to click. Donny Cates. Yeah, he's doing well. He's doing well. And granted, he brings a cachet of name that cultivated over 2017, over the course of the year, at Image and, and whatnot. But from what we're hearing from people that are picking up his books from Marvel, well, and I read, I read Thanos. I didn't yeah. read Doctor Strange, but I read Thanos. It was good. Yeah, I mean, and it's become a spec book, right? And then on top of that, you have um, 
who's the artist that's doing Moon Knight uh, from Avatar? Jason Burroughs. Jason Burroughs. We're getting some positive feedback about that. Yep. People are liking that, and and they're not necessarily. Well, and we saying, talked about that if, uh, before that first issue even came out. That yeah, it was an Avatar transplant, and and really what it is, and you get they're, a lot of that. What they're liking is it's a different art style. Yeah, it may not be better or worse than anything else. It's just different, and they're at least appreciating the fact that oh, I'm looking at something different. So there's some things creatively that are happening at Marvel that are, I, to me, are exciting. There, there's a reason to be excited about. I just wish that. There was a more comprehensive excitement, I guess. Yeah, and whether that happens this year or not, I—I I mean, I don't know, but um, I think uh, I think they need to. I don't know the best way to put it. They need to do a course correction right now, and figure. And they need to. They need to put a foot down and say, "We're either done with renumbering." Yeah. Figure or out what you're doing. Yeah, right. They need they need to come up with something because again, with like X Men is a great example. Blue and gold both sell well at the store. Mm-hmm. If they were to rename one of them X Men Blue to Uncanny and X Men Gold to Regular X Men, but keep the numbering and the series code the same, we would be fine with it. Your readership would be fine sure. with it. If they cancel them and relaunch them at a new number one, they have to grow that customer base again. And I don't I don't think they're going to have this anywhere near as easy a time doing it. And we we're yeah. at issue 19 and 20 of blue and gold right now. Yep. And we started with maybe five subs for each series. And now we're at, you know, darn near 20, but those series grew organically and kind of picked up those readers. Yep. I, I, if they do another relaunch, I think they're going to lose that. Yeah. And I think, so let's be fair when we talk about, you know, Marvel, one of the things that we've critiqued about them in the past has been, Kind of a, an oversaturation, an oversaturation of their their characters and their lines. Mm-hmm. So you could say that Deadpool, Spider Man, X Men are things that are at a point where there's just too much saturation of them, and you're weeding people out. Now, the counter to that with is with DC and Batman, where you've got metal and all the Batman one shots. You've got a regular Batman. You've got a detective. You've got Batman and the Signal. Batman Creature of the Night. You've got just this litany of Batman titles. White Knight. White Knight, exactly. And and it's easy for me as a DC, as more of a DC fan than a Marvel mm-hmm. fan historically to say, well, it's Batman. I'm excited about that. The other part of it, though, is that we may see the same kind of effects with these other titles as we go along. However, where it's different for me is we know that White Knight is, is it? Eight. Eight. We know Eight. that Creature uh, in the Night is four. Mm-hmm. We know that Metal has a has a finite amount. Yep. So all of these things are minis or maxis, whatever you want to call it. So we have this wrapper where we know. Whereas well, with Batman, Marvel, though, it's just this ongoing thing where you've got you know all of these different characters flying everywhere. And I think that that personally, my opinion is that. That is one of the pieces that hurts it is when you have these ongoings that just just keep on going and they're they're oversaturating those sure. lines. If you had Uncanny, I think everybody would agree that Uncanny is the the name you want. Mm-hmm. That's the best known X Men name based on the creative past of X Men. Not saying it's all the best content, but um, if you had an Uncanny line and then you had minis of these other things, to me that's going to be more valuable than having X Men Red, X Men Gold, X Men Blue. You know, all these other pieces. I don't, yeah, I don't. but Batman um, 
has done a really good job at differentiating what the, what the titles are. Mm-hmm. You know what Bat- this is Tom true. King Batman is. You know what Detective is. It's kind of a team book. Um, that White really Knight- doesn't feature Batman. Right. White Knight is its own thing. Yep. Uh, Creature of the Night, that's Kurt Busiek doing kind of a pseudo-sequel, a thematic sequel to, to Secret Identity. Which, if you're not um, reading that, you should be. Oh, absolutely. It is unbelievable. And go back and re- reread uh, yes. Secret Identity. Um, yes. But... Uh, Bat, the Bat titles, now Batman and the Signals, another good one. What is, besides Metal, is Snyder even writing a Batman book right now? Right, because he stopped All-Star Batman. It'll come back. It will. But right now, I mean, that's the only thing he's writing. Right, and that so, is, is it a four issue for Signal? Three. It's three three issues. That's right, yeah. So you've got very clearly uh, delineated lines between each of these Batman series. Whereas and very clear expectations for how many issues you're getting. And I right, think and that's you know, important. You know that White Knight will not be crossing over into metal, right? And, and it will not be crossing over Creature into of the Night. Creature of the Night or right. a Signal, right? So all of these series are are kind of their own thing. Batman is the best sell- right now, the best selling comic character yeah. on the market. There's no yeah. question about eight that. out of the top ten books for November, I think. Right? right? Yeah. Whereas with X Men, and let me now, tell you, those yeah. eight of the top ten books, people that are coming in buying them are freaking excited about it. Right. There is not right. a, oh, jeez, another Batman I book. think we're out of White Knight 4. We are. I think we're we're totally out of it. Yeah. Which I is think crazy. we only have one or two copies of Because Creature I know Knight. that we have updated, or we have upped the orders. Yeah. And updated uh, for every issue since one. It, it's And I think we're out of four completely. It, it, I will say, as a Bat fan, it's a very exciting time. Mm-hmm. There's so many. And there's one that we're not even talking about, and it's the Marini Dark Prince Charming. Oh, that's right. And... I think uh, it was myself. Was it Alec the other one that got it out of the, the store? There's a couple of us that pre-ordered it. Uh, we had I think we four had pre-orders. Four in. Yeah. And then we sold two off oh, the shelf, I think. My gosh. It's so good. Yep. It is It is so good. So, I mean, and each one is different. Anyways, enough of the Batman gushing. Marvel. So, Marvel. This publisher that competes with DC. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Blue, Blue and Gold do well. But I think... So, uh, let's look uh, a little bit... Bro- more broadly, at what they're what they've changed, they used to have uh, one in one thousand and one in two thousand variants. Right. And what have they changed it to now? They've changed it to uh, one in five hundred to one in one thousand variants. Correct. So they've cut in half what they had been doing as far as the qualifiers to hit these remastered variants. Like uh, X Men Red is a great example. Uh, Daredevil, which has a, a Frank. I mean, uh, the X Men Red is a uh, Phil Jimenez. Yep. Uh, Daredevil is a Frank Miller. Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man 300 is a, um, I think that's a Frank Miller. And it's got an Alex Ross uh, 1 in 50. But these used to be 1 in 1,000s, and then you would have to order 1 in 2,000s to get the uh, black and white remastered. But they've cut it in half now to be a 1 in 500 and a 1 in 1,000. So I think that they're at the very least kind of responding to what uh, retailers have been saying, or we're not going to order two. Th- now, now there might be, what, 10, 15 accounts that are ordering 2,000 copies of some of these books. Right. Maybe. Right. You know, Midtown. DCBS, um, probably. Yeah, a couple of these are, are probably Mile high. It, but other than that, you're not going to get it. Now, we looked at... I think you'd be hard-pressed to find more than five. So let's look at X-Men Red. 
uh, I got excited about X-Men Red because they had a deep discount. Meaning, if you ordered a certain amount of X-Men Red number one, you got an extra percentage off right. the price of the book. Right. Sounds great. And they have a one in 1,000. Meaning, if we order 1,000 copies, not only do we get the one in 1,000, but we get two of the uh, one in 500s, and we get 20 of the one in 50s. So, you can, you know, uh, in theory... If you know how to pre-sell books, you can cover your entire delivery before it even shows up with the pre-sales. But the problem was you had to match a certain amount of a book that came beforehand, which was Phoenix Resurrection Number 1. I've heard of it. Which we had ordered 1,000 copies. I've seen a lot of it. Right. <laughs> so we ordered 1,000 copies of Phoenix Resurrection Number 1, <laughs> meaning having to exceed that number yeah. was totally unfeasible for X-Men Red. Right. There's no way that was going to happen, and it's a four ninety nine book. Right. So that it had that extra dollar attached to it. We just can't do it. We cannot do it. Right. We did the math on it, and ultimately it comes down to, for us, um, if we were to sell these variants that we're talking about, we would have to have a total sell-through yep. at the max price that we are asking. And if we sold everything, we'd make another 1000 bucks. But it's not. We're not going to have a total sell through. We know that, right? Meaning it's a heck of a lot of work, um, extra shipping costs, a lot of storage for another uh, thousand books. That we just decided it wasn't worth it. Correct. Now, if the if it had been a meet or exceed uh, X Men Gold or whatever, we we could have done that in a heartbeat, you know. But we we can't meet or exceed a book that we were just given an incentive. To meet or exceed on. The Marvel giveth of, and the Marvel taketh away. Right, it's away. kind of a, a, a growing incentive where they go, right. you meet or exceed this number by 150% and we'll give you this percentage off. Okay, right. so we hit it. Now we've got a precedent. And this the is next a, book is... This is you, a theme that happened though last year and the year before, especially with Star Wars, where right. it was the 110% to unlock oh, the sure. action figure variant. And so you're upping your orders by a couple of books each month. And then before you know it, you're doubling what you need to fill right. your orders off the shelf. So, yeah, it's it's we, Marvel we, math. We want to get the deep discounts. We sure. want to get the extra percentage off of these books. But but there's a point where it becomes illogical to go sure. that far. Now, with let's look at Phoenix Resurrection number one. They had an Archer variant. Meaning that's, that is a cover that we are totally cool being stuck with a bunch of copies of. It's right. Archer. Everybody loves Archer. Right. We sell at least a copy of that book a day. Yep. Off the shelf. Um, now, X-Men Red, number one, if we've got to order more copies of that book than we did a, a book that had an Archer variant as a qualifier to hit the incentive, it's not happening. You right. know, unless it's Adam Hughes or J. Scott Campbell or maybe another Archer, then we would have considered it. But what, what they right. had... And the cover was great. You know, whoever the artist was, I don't remember who the artist was, but the cover looked good. But it's not going to reach the audience that we needed to reach to make it worth our time and, and effort and money to order. Agreed. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, it's all part of that, that Marvel math and that game that you have to play as a retailer. And by game, I don't necessarily mean like it's a it's a lottery. It's more of a you have to do the math. You have mm -hmm. to do what makes sense for you. And there's certain... Certain times where we jump and certain times where we say, you know what, we are, in your your math case, we're leaving $1,000 profit on the table, but the work to get that $1,000 profit is 
probably not going to happen. Well, it's and uh, and I told you so uh, last week when we were kind of looking at it. I said we we've got two ways we can go with it. Right. You know, I can we we basically have another week before FOC to try to move this many copies of the book to hit parity numbers. Yep. Meaning, if we pre-sell this amount of, of of books, then everything afterwards is profit. However, there's a lot of kind of uh, uh, costs built in there that we're not necessarily taking into account. Now, if we're ordering another thousand copies of a book, that's probably another fifty or sixty dollars worth of shipping, right? Yep. If that, probably more. Um, on top of that, we're not going to get. Let's say that our let's say that we order a thousand copies of this book. We we sell the uh, all of the variants and we hit the halfway mark. Yeah. Now we've got a thousand copies of the book to sell, and, and and everything after that's profit. But let's say that our average market is we might sell twenty copies of the book. Right. Well, that's twenty copies that we're hitting as profit. That's great. However, would we not be better off just ordering twenty copies of X Men Red Number One? Right. Right off the bat, not messing around with the variant covers. We have to send them out. We have to ship them. We have to take the pre-sales. We have to pay extra for shipping. Yep. We have to deal with the fact that one of the pre-sales or multiple pre-sales might go to somebody who says, um, yeah, I'm not happy with this book because it won't come back in 9-8. They want to return it. Um, in that instance, looking at the fact that uh, – Every sale over X amount is pure profit. If we can figure out we're only going to sell 20 copies out of the store, right. we're better off just ordering 20 copies. Well, yeah, because on top of that, or you 25 got, or whatever. You, you got to store these books. You got to yep. trip over them for the next two years. You got to you know do whatever. And it's just, it becomes this point where there's a certain cost benefit analysis that you do and right. it's just not worth it. And somebody it's it's no different than if somebody were to come in tomorrow and hand us a thousand copies of Red Hood number twenty. We would appreciate it, but we only we know we're only going to sell this many. Mm-hmm. And we might cart them to shows and we might put them online, but honestly there's only a finite market for a certain book. Yep. And at some point you hit you hit a wall where there's more effort going into Selling it. and moving and shipping yep. a book, then there is just saying this is the number that we know we're going to sell. Yep, we need to meet it. Yep, um, and and we uh, we take that into account. And and there have been plenty of books where we have said it's worth the the juice is worth the squeeze. Yep, uh, but I think that's X Men Red, um, Peter Parker three hundred, especially being a five ninety nine book. There's no way we could justify it. I, I did the math on it, and I looked at it, and I said, um, it's it's just not – I love the Ross variant. The Ross variant is a, a freaking cool book, really great cover. However, if we sell all the Ross variants at X amount, plus the 1 in 500s and the 1 in 1,000s, we're probably going to break even. Yeah. And then we're going to have 1,000 copies of a $6 book that we're going to sell maybe – 20 copies of it. And we spent So how let's much, just order 20 copies of it. And we spent how much time and labor? Right. So. So, it's, you know, on that note, it's it's better for us. I, I guess the question is, if all of these Marvel books, instead of being $4.99 and $5.99, had been $3.99, would we have done it? Maybe. Maybe. It depends if on. If we could have gotten yeah. a deep discount. No, we should explain what the deep discount is. 
The deep discount is, as we said, meet or exceed a certain amount of orders for a book. So with with uh, X-Men Red, it was Phoenix Resurrection number one. And you could get another 10 to 15% off that book. Now, if you're at anywhere from 50 to 55% off, um, tacking on another 15%, depending on how many you're going to order, is essentially potentially giving you free copies of that book for raising your order. And then on top of that, you're qualifying for the incentives. But we're not at the volume where we can add another 100 books on and get them for free. Right. We're at the point where ordering the the amount that we know we're going to sell and maybe five for the shelf is smarter for us to do than hitting that extra 15% off but sticking us with another 800 copies of the book. Exactly. So there becomes that, again, the cost-benefit analysis of looking mm-hmm. at what your cost outlay is, what your ability to sell through is, and then essentially what your burden to sell through is and your burden to store after that. Well, and the other thing, and I think this is kind of the unspoken uh, fear right now, is that you it, let's say that there is some sort of uh, corrective comic uh, crash. Who, who wants to sit on nine cases of... Uh, you know, 800 copies of Peter Parker 300 right. or whatever it is, you know, right. X-Men Red number one. I, I don't think anybody does. And I think that to me, it likens or harkens back to the um, uh, people that are still that from the early 90s still have cases of Adventures of Superman 500, Turok number one, whatever the hell it was. Youngblood number one. Sure. You, nobody, we don't want to have that. We don't want right. to deal with that. Right. We would rather just take the profit from a sure thing and move forward. Not to say that we never take a chance on a book because we, we just did, like we said, term. Phoenix resurrection number one. And before that venoms and, but um, we also know our market and we know right. who our customers are. We know what the, the sales market looks like around us to be able to move those books. And we know with a high level of confidence that after upping the orders, selling the variants, getting a deep discount, and then looking at what we have left over, we know that we can make a, a fairly comfortable profit over the next X amount of months. Mm-hmm. Because of, like you said, there's kind of a drip on those art germ ones where one a day, you know, five, six a week kind of thing where it eventually adds up. And we know that people are going to come looking for it. Or we know and we that... we haven't even taken the art germs to any conventions or shows right. or anything. We know that when we put art germ out there, it sells. Yeah. Now, the other thing, kind of the reverse of that is, if we look at DC, what they're doing right now, uh, Doomsday Clock, we're ordering hundreds of copies of Doomsday Clock to the point where we just had another store that that we're very friendly with. Yep. Very friendly with. I mean, a great store, great owner. Um, and we, if we're short on something, we go to him. If he's short on something, he comes to us. Now, we were smart enough to go very heavy into Doomsday Clock. He is out. And everyone at every single store around him is completely out of Doomsday Clock to the point where if you live in, I'm just going to say it, you live in Milwaukee, you have a very finite uh, amount of stores that you can go to to get Doomsday Clock, and we're probably number one. Yep. So he wanted to know if he could get some Doomsday Clock from us, and we ordered well. So, of course, we're we'll able to out. give them to him and, mm-hmm. uh, and help him 
help his own customers. Yep. But um, you know, with Doomsday Clock, if they had if DC was doing one twenty fives or one one hundreds, it would automatically benefit us because of how many we're ordering right away. So, uh, I mean, there's the, the question is, let's say the Doomsday Clock had a one five hundred. Would we move that 200 to 250 copies that we're ordering up to 500 to get that? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we'd also get five one and one hundreds or yep. 10 one and fifties or whatever it is because we know we're ordering the book. But DC's kind of doing the opposite where they, yep. they're just selling these open to order variants and, um, and we're ordering huge numbers of them, but we're not getting the incentive to get those other than whatever profit we get from selling a regular issue. And we, we talked about this, you and I, and we both, I, I think we both kind of settled on, we're happier having one company with one plan and one company with yeah. another than both having the same plan one way or the other, because but it's that weird. would make it tougher. Because metal had a one in 100, it, which we got yeah. two of. Right. So if that tells you how many copies we ordered, there you go. But we got two copies of the one in 100 metal variant. And, um, I think selling selling those offset a lot of the costs of the other copies of the book that we got. So it truly is. Now, we've talked about variant covers before and how a, a retailer incentive is just that. It's an incentive for a retailer. Right. Um, now, it's up to the retailer to decide how to sell that, to best benefit from that. And we get a lot of one in tens and whatnot that we put out on the shelf at, at cover price. Right. However... With something like that, I mean, if Doomsday Clock had a one one hundred, you better believe that we're going to price that accordingly because yeah, we're going to price it it's going to market. Be, right, it's going to be a desirable book. Whereas Marvel is attaching these one one hundreds to books that stores are ordering maybe five of, and they're saying, "Please reach to get this one one hundred to right. offset the cost of the ninety copies of the book that you're going to be stuck with that you won't sell." So to draw everything back together with a book like Peter Parker 300 or X-Men Red number one, we would love to get these incentive covers, but doing the math on them, it's just not worth it because overall Marvel sales are down. Yep. Um, look at the Marvel events that are out right now. Now I'll tell you one that we probably should have ordered higher on. It's the uh, Venom Inc. Now with, the Venom Inc. Alpha, number one, we ordered 200 copies. And that one in 50 variant cover went nuts. But we pre-sold all of them. So uh, we had no idea that the one in 50 was going to go crazy. And it's, it's like a $150 book now. Um, after that, we kind of adjusted our orders down for the amazing and the Venom tie-in issues. Uh, Venom Omega, we we kind of match what we did with Alpha. But all of the Venom and Amazing tie-ins, um, we ordered low on and we should have ordered higher. And there were incentive books with like with the Amazing that we should have gotten because right. we ordered we, we didn't order well for that book. We should have upped our orders to hit those one in fifties and um and we could have capitalized on those extra price. Well, okay, whatever. Now, what did we do to kind of make up for that? Coming up in X-Men Blue, crossing over with Venom is the Poison X storyline. So we looked at it and we said the crossover between Venom and Amazing was huge for us. We under-ordered. 
We should over-order on the Poison X storyline because we know that our X-Men buyers, by and large, are not a humongous crossover group with our Venom buyers. Right. So if we've got 15 people to buy Venom and 15 people to buy X-Men Blue, we need to order at least 30 copies of the Poison X book. Um, and then anticipate that other stores are not going to order that and that we're going to get people that come in from surrounding stores that didn't take that into account. So we said, well, these stores or, or each of these issues have a one in 50. Let's go with the one in 50. Yep. We can put a one in 50 set together. We're going to offer them in advance. If someone wants to pre buy them better for them, better for us. Right. But we think that it's worth upping our orders to these numbers because we're going to sell them off the shelf. Now, if we hit the the, if we do sell forty of them, and let's say that we sell this one in fifty variant for thirty five dollars or thirty dollars or whatever it is, um, we're benefiting from the incentive variant. You know, it's totally worth it, but it's because we've hit these numbers on the shelf books that we're ordering. For. Right. If you sell five, it's not there. No, right. absolutely not. So hey, speaking of incentives, speaking of variants, mm-hmm. what do you know about lenticulars? Oh, man. It's um, almost like I knew exactly what question to ask you. So, the big... Okay, so the big issue, kind of a controversy that happened. A little controversy, a little brouhaha. I'm sure anyone listening has heard of the amount of work that your average retailer had to go through to to order the lenticular covers of Marvel Legacy. Hey, let's not downgrade ourselves. We're above average. <laughs> well... <laughs> in our own mind. Yeah, in our own mind. Um... You had to do a lot of work yep. to kind of uh, punch up. For some retailers, they made a spreadsheet. Other retailers, they just kind of did the uh, buy the numbers where they had multiple screens open. They would run item reports, get a calculator up, uh, say that we need to exceed 150% of this. So I ordered 94 copies. I'd venture to guess. 94 times uh, 1.75 or whatever it is. I'd venture to guess someone had an abacus. Sure. Somebody might have. It was a lot of work. And it, that's why there was a handful of retailers, well, more than a handful of retailers, that publicly said, we're out. Right. But we didn't. We got them because yep. we knew that surrounding retailers, and in fact, some of them that we talked to. Said they weren't even going to bother. Said they weren't going to do them. And these retailers sent their customers to us, mm-hmm. which obviously we appreciated. Now, the problem is... Um, Going through all of the, the the qualifiers to do the math and, and figure out exactly what you had to order to get all these books in uh, was very time-consuming and, and kind yep. of a pain in the you-know-what. I can't count. So you predominantly reside here in the store during the week. Based on your work schedule and my work schedule, I'm not in the store most days. So I can't count the number of messages we shot back and forth and through I was, text messages, oh Facebook Messenger, phone calls. I was sitting here explaining so boxes. We we night. darn near ran the Okanomwa Carrier Pigeon Company out of it was business. Crazy. Box was sitting here one night. He's like, "What are you doing?" And I was showing <laughs> it, and I was like, "This is what we have to go through every to freaking meet, month, right? To match to figure out how many of the copies of this issue we have to order to get the lenticulars." And he was like, "I can't even." He's like, he was looking at it. He's like, "I don't even know how, what you're doing." Yeah, um, it was a pain in the butt, but I mean, it's a pain. It's a labor of love. 
Yeah, it would. As business, right. as business guys, it's ex- it's fun, but at a certain point, it just becomes exhausting. Again, ultimately, we we did it, and yeah, we did. Um, and it was worth it for yeah. us. We we made money off of the lenticular yep. covers. Yep, and we still not have a few to say uh, we have more than a few <laughs> with some of these books. I mean, like um, I, I I will give a great example: Thor, Thor. So we pre-sold a couple of the Hughes one one hundreds. Yep, and we pre-sold them. At an amount that would cover the cost the of necessary, the order. Up. Correct. Right. The necessary um, expenditure to get all of those books. So by the time we got these, and, and that was a $5.99 book. You bitch. So it was a six, $6 book. So by the time we got them, they were paid for. Yep. And then after that, we sold some of the one in fifties, and then we sold, you know, maybe 40 or 50 of the, of the regular lenticulars at $5.99 a pop. So we made a great amount of money off of the, the Thor 700, uh, 700 lenticular. But the problem yep. is we still have a box of about 100 lenticulars. Yeah, so if anybody now, out there is looking for one. Oh, yeah. You, just call, let us know. We'll give them to you in class. But <laughs> here's the thing. Um, we, we already made our money on them and we have a huge pile. But what did we make the money off of? The incentive, incentive variance. variance by upping the orders. So, uh, if you if you were a store that didn't qualify for any of those, you weren't really getting those. Now, you could have ordered seven or a hundred copies of the regular cover of Thor seven hundred. Correct. But if you're going to do that, you're probably going to try for the lenticulars anyway. I would hope so. Um, so we're stuck with a lot of lenticulars, and, and that's fine because we're not. In yeah, the whole lot, we've I think made money. Stuck with is a negative connotation in this case. I think it's we have extra lenticulars yeah. in stock. I mean, it's and not. We have a display. Yeah. We have a big display that is just lenticular covers. In this instance, they're not burdensome. There's, sure. And just very similar to the Art Germ uh, Phoenix Resurrection cover, they sell at a steady drip. There, there's right. people coming in, oh, you've still got these. That's awesome. I'll take one. Uh, but. What you were leading to was Marvel uh, back in, it was about last uh, Wednesday uh, or Thursday? Yeah. I think it was Wednesday when the mailer yeah. went out. Um, said, all of a sudden, they were making the, all of the lenticular, oh, no, we forgot one key point of the uh, lenticular ordering, which was, they said, the lenticulars oh, yes. had to be FOC. In on initial orders because anything after initial orders would be allocated. Right. So you had to do all of the work up front. Yep. Now, I don't know a single store or, or diamond account that got allocated lenticular covers. Well, and as we first, found out. Right. There's a reason for that. <laughs> but Marvel stressed time and again. Get your you order in. You better get this in. Fast. To be able to guarantee your order. Right. Fast and early, or you might... Anything you know, after initial orders stands a great likelihood of being allocated. Now, that was great for us, or any store ordering multiples of hundreds, because we said, and I looked at it, and I even emailed David Gabriel, and I said, here's my question. Now, we have pre-sold two of the 1 in 100 uh, Daredevils, and um, what were to happen if we order... 300 Daredevil lenticulars, but if they get allocated to 150. Right. Do we get them? And he said, yes, because you're, you ordered them on your The intent order. was there to order. Right. Um, and, and, you know, at that point, let's be honest, we said, well, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> it wouldn't it be awesome? If they, if they allocated, allocated only 100 and yeah. whatever, but we get three 1 of 100s. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fantastic. But uh, ultimately, that didn't happen. So, long story short, 
we said, all right, we better do our math up front. Yep. We'll get our numbers up. We want to make sure we we are at least in the position to get those incentives and then let the chips fall where they may with the rest, knowing that regardless of what happens, yeah. we're fine. And we got everything that we ordered. Now, the problem is a lot of stores, and this wasn't a problem for them. It wasn't a problem for us, really, that they decided to do this. But a lot of stores are very vocal about not playing that Marvel game. Yeah. They said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to sit. We're not going to. Um, kind of bow to their strange demands and qualifiers. And that was good for us because we, we did it. Whether we were stupid or whatever you want to call it, we did it. Um, but we also knew that a lot of stores around here weren't going to do it. Right. And it, it ended up being profitable for us as we've said ad nauseum now. Now, uh, fast forwarding to... Uh, this past Wednesday. This past Wednesday or Thursday, whatever it was. Yeah, a week Marvel ago. sends out an email, their, their weekly Marvel mailer, saying that all of the lenticular, every single cover, every single one, was now going open to order for everyone. Meaning you had to do no math, you had to hit no real qualifier, uh, and you could order any of these lenticulars. Now, in any quantity that you wanted, assuming quantity, they had them in stock. But they had them all in stock. No, I mean, meaning like if, you, if they had 10 in stock and you ordered 50, you'd only get 10. Sure. Right. Okay, but that... Well, so meaning... Um, a no one got allocated. Right. Not a single account got allocated because they had a ton of extras. Did you hear B, someone cry wolf? Yeah. <laughs> B. Whatever uh, secondhand market value had been assigned to these lenticulars by saying it's a one-off thing. Only certain store limited a uh, limited amount of stores right. are going to get them. Um, whatever secondhand market was assigned by the qualifiers required to get them was gone Garbage. automatically gone yeah they were just something that marvel's stuck with and dumping on the market yep. now that told me two things one that the retailer interest in lenticulars was nothing like they expected correct and that a lot of this and we talked about this a lot of the stores that were vocal in their boycott of the lenticulars and the the uh, Marvel qualifiers, I thought that it was going to be a very vocal minority. Yeah, it must have been more than we thought because yeah, I, they yeah. were stuck with a lot of books. Yeah, and uh, what ended up happening was that they um, they make this announcement, and all of a sudden, you got this um, kind of a retailer militia that comes there, out. There was a, yeah, there was a it's little a, bit of backlash. It was an unbelievable amount of backlash. This was a um, moment where we stood back and went to the side of the battlefield and just said, we'll see how this plays well, out. Well, I even actually volunteered uh, an idea, but they said, um, you know, a lot of people were complaining and saying we were uh, one of the stores that jumped through hoops and now they're out there and the stock that we have in the store we're is now going to be penalized for Right, exactly. Yeah. Why did we spend 19 hours making our uh, Excel spreadsheet? And up our many- orders by... 30 books in some cases Correct. to bring in these lenticulars. So ultimately the argument by all these uh, retailers goes back to, well, if you qualified for all of them, we're going to make the argument to Marvel that by opening them up to, to order for anyone, we should be able to return everything. We should have, that if we met the initial requirements, they should be returnable. Yeah. Well, the problem is <laughs> because you had a lot of stores that did what we did. And made money on the lenticulars simply by selling a lot of the uh, uh, incentive qualifiers. 
if all of a sudden we could return 125 copies of Thor 700 at $3 a piece, Marvel is going to lose well more than they're going to get by opening these books up to order for anyone. And that ended up being kind of the uh, rallying cry for all of these stores was that uh, if they're going to do this, we demand full returnability. Go, Timmy. Sure. And <laughs> yeah, and other, and other uh, retailers. Um, and I think that I think there's something to it. Now, that was sort of, sort of my contribution was I said, well, what I would like to see is if they are off, let's get Marvel to offer full returnability. But since they framed the narrative as we just discovered, and this is what they did. They said, instead of saying that we undersold them or the initial orders for the lenticulars were underwhelming, they said, we discovered a stockpile of lenticulars that uh, we heretofore had not known about. And we are now making them open to order. Did you did you pick up on where that came from originally? Or at least no. the last time we saw that? No. So the last time we saw that was, I want to say seven, eight, nine months ago. And it was DC Comics saying, Oh, with uh, we Rebirth. Found, we found a palette of the fifth printing. Third, uh, fifth printing. Third or fifth of printing. Of Rebirth. Okay. Right, and that was and that was all legit because it was to go to, I think it was Barnes and Noble or something like that, and it never left. It got lost in the warehouse, and it was literally lost. But yeah, you they took told that us wording, about that at uh, C two E two. But if you took that wording from the DC blurb that said we found, mm-hmm. and then you match it up to Marvel, it was almost the exact same wording. So, uh, so anyways, no, I agree with you. They so, magically found all these lenticulars that right. just. Suddenly couldn't be allocated. Now, the average, uh, if if something is given returnability through Diamond in the direct market, what you end up having to do is strip the cover, meaning you rip the guts out. Piece of cake. Sometimes you even just tear the front or back cover off wherever Usually the it's the UPC, is, right. And you throw it in an envelope and you mail it back to Diamond. And you, then you get credited on it. And I said, well, what if... Uh, I, you know, we as retailers were to pay the extra amount of money and ship back the whole book. Then they could add it to this pile of... Uh, Stockpile found. Yeah, the, found the, books. the magically found pile of books that they had. And they could sell it to whoever they wanted. And and they wouldn't just be getting destroyed. Right. Uh, because let's be honest. Because they still have value. It is now. very hard to rip <laughs> the front off of a lenticular cover. Anyways, you know, without got a some, pair of scissors. We've got some Thors we could try it on. We could. <laughs> And a lot of people agreed with me, and a lot of people said that would be a great idea. But Marvel ultimately caved, and they canceled the offer. Yep. Now, Bleeding Cool and some of the other kind of uh, TMZ comic book sites uh, ran with this, and I think did a certain amount of harm to the aftermarket pricing on these lenticular covers. Uh, but with Marvel canceling it and saying that <clears> – <throat> Not only would they were they not going to offer that that deal, but that any offers that had been put in in like the three days that the offer was on the table canceled. Would, yeah, not only were canceled, but had never shipped and would never ship. Uh, went a long way to sort of mitigate those damages. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the problem was, um, you know, Marvel laying down these strict ordering qualifiers that people had to jump through many flaming hoops, including us, to get. And then 
all of a sudden opening them opening them up to anyone. And I think I think the, the big, big issue is that they they the threat of re- allocation was a huge piece of it. I it was because that's what forced a lot of retailers' hands to make that decision: either we're going for it or we're not. If you didn't have that threat of allocation and it was more of a you can make that decision by the FOC date, the final order cutoff, yeah. then retailers can have – you get what an extra – depending on the book, three to eight weeks to decide. Right, but they they disenfranchised retailers, including sure us, in the future for if they ever offer something like this again because nobody's going to do it. Right. And um, everybody's going to know that A – when Marvel says they're going to allocate something, it means they're going to overprint it. Mm-hmm. And why should we jump through hoops and spend uh, – again, we've talked about this before. If we evaluate our time yep. and say that your an hour of your time or an hour of my time is worth X amount. And in order for us to put in uh, a good order, uh, an, an, uh, a spot-on order – it's going to take maybe another 11 hours of uh, figuring out the Marvel man. As you say, that's stuff. just Marvel. Right. They're the only ones. Is the amount of money that we're going to make equivalent to hours right. times dollars? Versus us sitting here and... Um, Recording podcasts for free. Well, yeah. <laughs> or, or just you know anything else that we could be doing with our time. Yeah, where could you put and that money? You could put not, that money into anything. And that's just a little thing, but I'm just saying that the if we know that we could wait another three months and all of a sudden Marvel is going to make these books available uh, open to order, right? why jump through any hoops to get any of these books? Well, and, and we know that both Marvel and DC have set a precedent that um, at a certain point, their incentive variance. Now, obviously, DC doesn't have incentive variance anymore. But we do have precedent that at a certain point in time, their incentive variance no longer have any, theoretically, have any ability to be ordered because you need to order X quantity to get it. So usually three, four to five years after the fact, those variant covers go on sale for a net price, whatever it be. It may be a 50% blanket. In some cases, it could be more or less depending on what those qualifiers were. So we know there's a precedent set that at a certain point in time, essentially when those covers are no longer relevant as an incentive and they're more or less a reader copy or a, you know just a, an issue to read for anyone off the shelf, that they're, they're offered for sale. Mm-hmm. Part of the, the, the allocation was a piece, the Marvel math and hoop jumping was a piece, and then of course you've got that other piece of well, what, what the heck happened? What gives? Usually it's three, four years before these things hit the market like this, and now all of a sudden... So it was it was not a... Um... Well, and let's talk. Let's take a half a second to talk about this. So we run a business, and we know that at the end of the year, you try and liquidate as much as you can for tax purposes mm-hmm. because the inventory you have, you're paying taxes on. So it would make sense if Marvel would say, well, shoot, you know... We want to liquidate as much out of the diamond warehouse as possible so we're not stuck with it, A, as our own taxable uh, assets, and B, we're going to get charged based on the square footage we're occupying. So there's all these things factoring in, and it's just it, it's it's just weird, bad timing, bad publicity, bad a bad call, basically, is what it amounts to. Agreed. So. I, you know, I think, if anything, uh, the big takeaway from this, this whole thing should be Marvel should get rid of the gateway qualifiers like uh, meter seed x percentage 
I am totally cool with incentive variants. Yeah, the, 25, the 50, one in X. Yeah, one in one hundred. Yep. Um, if we order three copies of uh, Moon Girl and they have a one in twenty-five, if we decide that we want to spend the capital and order another twenty-two copies to try to get this one in twenty-five, it's totally on us. Yep. You know, like it's, yep. there's no there's no question that it's 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 either worth doing or it's not. It's an incentive variant. If we are already if we order fifty copies of uh, Avengers and there's a one in twenty-five, now we're getting two of them. We make more money as a retailer. That's great. Yep. And we've talked but, about that that is what's keeping our Marvel profits afloat for 20, right, 2017 right. is those incentive variants. But the um, the gateway qualifiers are what causes more problems than anything. And that was what specifically the gateway qualifiers were what existed for every single lenticular. Yep. And that is what caused the humongous amount of work yep. for every work. retailer. Correct, and there and it was. It's one of those things where you you may think, oh, well, it's a piece of cake. You just you know what you ordered. Well, yeah, you know what you ordered for your initial order, but then you got to figure out: did you up it on FOC? And then you got to figure out: did I have a reorder? Because depending on what it is and how it's worded, it could be different. So you've got to do all this looking and research, and yeah, and it it, it and just you have to really be yeah you have to be vigilant about. Um, Keeping so we had oh. we had a couple of books where there is a fraction variant where it might round up and it might round down. Yep. Now most of the time it rounds down, but let's say that you do the math and you figure out to qualify to order a lenticular, you have to order twelve point two five copies. Well, generally what that means is you have to round down uh, and order twelve copies. But we had a couple of books. Where we we did that and we rounded down the fourth of a percent, but we didn't qualify. All of a sudden, we get an invoice that generates a week before, and our books aren't on there. And then, even more pain in the butt are those moments where they use a gateway qualifier for a book that nobody wants. You have no subs for it. It's or a well book into that, its right, run. a book that you never ordered. Right. Well, it's it's maybe it's on its seventh issue. You've got no subs, and nobody's pulling the first six issues off the shelf. Yeah. You don't order it. Well, now you can't get it because you didn't order one, and whatever you order times zero is still zero. And it, in Marvel's defense, on that, as long as you know who to reach out to, you can get that taken care of. And we did. But I have a good, a, a relatively good relationship with I, yes, Marvel. Yes. However, however, the way that you have to go about it. I still think is a little bit of a sham. Well, I agree with you, but so the but the avenue exists, and I think the the fact that you have you have a lot of retailers that complain. Oh, I didn't qualify to order this. Or I didn't. Yeah, qualify you've got to talk to, to the talk to the publishers. Reach first off, and then talk to your diamond rep. Your diamond rep, as we know, uh, may not be all that helpful. But here's the thing: if you if you follow up, so our diamond rep several times has given us information that we have figured out has not been accurate. accurate. <laughs> yes. Um, that we have followed up with a, a rep from Marvel or from DC and then they've taken care of it for us. Right. Start with your diamond rep. If your diamond rep cannot help you out or says, we cannot do that, you need to reach out to somebody from whoever the company, whoever the publisher Correct. Is. And and you will find, I would say, 90% of the time, 
that your diamond rep was either ill-informed or just didn't want to have to do the extra tiny bit of work that goes with helping you out. No, I, I agree. But that puts the onus on you to, to do the work. Yeah. But if you're willing to do the work, and you should be, you can get um, – you, you, can, you can make things happen that, that other, other people who aren't willing to go the extra mile can't, can't get. Yes, and it is true that every publisher relies on the retailer for their own success. Sure. And so they are oftentimes willing. Now, if you call up and you say, oh, you know, this book Rebirth is kind of popular, and I, I ordered 12 copies. Can, can you send me an extra 50? DC's probably going to say, uh, go, pound, go pound some rocks, right? But if you call up and you say, hey, um, I have a subscriber that wants Red Hood 36, and diamonds out, and I've got none in the shop, and I've got no one locally that I can trade with. Do you have any copies? If DC has copies laying around the office, they will usually work with you to get you those so that you can get that to your subscriber. Because ultimately, they want your subscriber sure. to be happy, so they come to your store, so you're buying product from and them. And that's well, that's more of a and and that's more of a that might happen. But well, I, I just I just did that is, with Boom as well. Right, and well, and Boom's a great company for yeah. it. Um, We've done it with Aftershock. Sure. But again, the onus is on you but here's as the I, retailer uh, uh, to here's reach Here's a better out. example. We ordered a certain amount of X-Men Blue Annual 1. I've heard of that book. That did not hit the qualifier for the retailer incentive. Correct. Now, we went in later on, post-FOC, and upped our order of X-Men Blue Annual 1. It was still in stock. Um, even though it was post FOC, and uh, even we we well hit, we hit and exceeded the amount needed for the incentive variant. Now we contacted our diamond rep, who told us it wasn't possible because it was past FOC to get it. I reached out to Marvel and said, uh, "Here's the situation. This is what this happened. Is what we, we are very excited in the store about the Poison X storyline. Uh, we." Just went in today or yesterday, and we upped our orders on this specific book uh, because we think that there's going to be uh, X amount of interest in it. And um, we met the incentive amount. Our diamond rep told us that we were, as we were past FOC, we were not able to put in to get this incentive variant. Is that something that might be able to be pushed through on your on the Marvel end, or? Is our diamond rep correct? If so, I totally understand. But yep. thank you for your time. Yep. I appreciate your effort, blah, blah, blah. An hour later, I get a, a diamond reorder confirmation on that variant. Yep. Be- and, and then I get afterwards, I get an email back from Marvel. I sent say, a note to Diamond approving your... Whatever. Right. Yep. And, they, and, they, and we've had times before, too, where our rep has told us, oh, that book's out of stock. And then we talk to somebody at Marvel or DC and they go, oh, it's they've got... 930 copies, copies in stock. I don't know yep. why they're saying that. Having curating kind of this, um, it's all building relationship, right? It's, it's yeah. building a relationship with, and I think it's safe to say you have built a good relationship with DC. I built yep. a good relationship with Marvel. We've both got and a good, between, great relationship with boom. Yeah. And, and between the, well, yeah, obviously, but between the two of us 
And between the big two companies, yeah. we, if we have an issue, we know who to go to and how to approach it yep. to rectify the situation. The only thing that I will say is a little bit nicer about DC is we essentially have five avenues of contact. Whereas with Marvel, true. we have one. Very true. And that's just a business model difference. Although, that is uh, how they handle it. I will say this. The couple of times that I have messaged uh, DG when he's been on very, vacation. Still very responsive. I've gotten, I've gotten two responses from him. One being the auto reply that he's out of the office for a week. And then maybe like three hours later, I'll get a response personally from him. Yeah. And I'll get a response from whoever is his, taking care of his emails while he's gone. I'm pretty sure that, that out of office and on vacation for Gabriel means I'm just not in the office today, right. physically. <laughs> no, honestly, he, he is very... Yeah. Like I, we, we have been very impressed with the follow-through that we have gotten from Marvel on and, issues. As is had. the case with every facet of media today... A negative opinion spreads a lot quicker than a positive one. Right. And so there is a very negative connotation around Marvel publishing in many areas when it comes to retailer satisfaction and even consumer satisfaction. But exactly to your point, we've taken the time to cultivate the relationship. We have taken the time to do our due diligence when looking at the product. And so when we approach Marvel with a question or a concern about something, we're not brushed off as, oh, geez, these guys again. It's more of the mindset of, oh, they've got fact, they've got numbers, and they've got a very simple request. And exactly to your point with how you phrase things with, with uh, Marvel and, and how I do it with DC is we don't, th- we don't walk into it with an expectation of you're going to do exactly what we want the way we want it. We walk in with a, geez, it'd be really mm-hmm. nice if we could do this, but we totally – Respect the fact that you are running a business that's doing whatever, yeah. and it may not work. And if you approach it with that mindset, people are – it's the old adage. You're a lot more likely to catch flies with honey than you are with vinegar, right? When I, when I was um, – and this goes a long way to anybody listening. Uh, my previous full-time job, I would get – I would have a lot of people that would come into uh, – my office and say, Hey, what do, what do I have to do to get ahead? You know, they said, what do I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stressed out. I'm not, you know, I've been here for X amount of years. I'm not getting where I want to be. And I'd say, here's the deal. I'd say, Hey, you got to be able to present, present solutions to people. But B, the first thing you have to do is be able to admit when you screw something up yeah. and say, Hey, I, effed up or I screwed up or whatever and and go up to somebody and say this is a just so you know I screwed up um what I want you to know this what should I do to make it right and it and being able being humble and being able to admit that you made a mistake is in any job in any in any position is a uh something that goes a very very long way towards rectifying a situation and we have done that with both DC and Marvel um, we made a mistake. I made, I mean, personally, I made a mistake on an order with Marvel and I contacted, um, David Gabriel and I said, look, I, I said, I made a mistake when I put this order in, uh, I didn't order this specific variant cover and, um, uh, it was stupid of me. And I said, uh, I re- after, uh, our invoice generated, I realized I hadn't ordered any, uh, is it possible to throw some on our order back, you know, to back order them after everything else has been filled? If not, I understand it was just a mistake. If if so, even better. But uh, you know, I, I 
let me know what the you're chips able to will do. fall where they will. And, and guess fine. what? They said we're going to get you what exact. We'll, we'll fill the order with what we can. Yep. Anything left over after shortages and damages are filled, we're going to get out to you. Yep. Um, and, and so, just like anything else, if you be humble about it, you make a mistake. Admit that you made a mistake. You know, if if you did something wrong, go up to these people or approach them or email them or call them or or whatever contact you have through them and just say, this is what I did. Uh, is there something, is some way you can help me rectify the situation? Yep. It's my mistake. I screwed up. Um, and they're going to go out of their way to help you. You know, if you, if you go up to them and you approach the situation like they owe you something. You they're can, just going to brush you off because they've. Everyone or they're going to help you once, yeah. And then, and then every time, you know that that tends to be the issue. Yep. Um, so have a little humility and understand that everybody, everybody makes mistakes, and everybody is these people want to help you. They want you to buy their they, books. Well, they want you to be successful, right? But at the same time, if you know, a very small percentage of success for you is a large percentage of pain in the butt for them. Mm-hmm. They're going to ignore you. No, it's true. So, it's the old thing that you get um, it, uh, in business. You get eighty percent of your your money from twenty percent of your customers, yep. and you get eighty uh, percent of your problems from another twenty percent of your customers. And um, I think publishers have the same problem, of or course. especially with Marvel. I would get. I would guess it's probably like they get you know uh, more than more than that percentage from. Uh, a, a smaller percentage, a smaller of the, percentage, yeah. but um, I think that you can extrapolate that to just about any business and say, yep. uh, you know, DC is going to get their detractors, and, and we know who very specifically. You know who I'm talking about? Oh yeah, who's very vocal and, and oh, hates yeah. DC for whatever reason, and you get your people that hate Marvel, and it's because neither of them need, neither of them want to go the extra mile and just say. Uh, they they don't want to make that connection. They don't want to make that contact. Say, I need help. Yep. Can you help me with this? I would. I want to help you. I have. We just. I have no expectation that everything will be exactly the way that I want. But I want to know what options are out there. We just read something from somebody on a certain uh, company exclusive board, uh, where somebody was complaining that they weren't letting them sell stuff on this company message board, and. I remember I sent a message to you saying, like, look at this dude, like complaining yep. about that. Um, like that, that's not their job, you know, because you didn't order enough or this person didn't order enough. That That's not the purpose of this. That particular board. Correct. There's other boards for that. But pe- exactly. There are boards set up specifically for retailers to help yep. out, out other retailers. Um, but you, you get these, this kind of entitlement, uh, way of thinking by a lot of retailers where they think that the because they're carrying product for, from a company that that publisher owes them. Right. And it you have to I'm really doing take, you the favor correct. of putting my your product on you my have, shelf. And, and and to a point in some instances that is correct. Until you but take a step back large, and go, without your product on my shelf, I wouldn't make rent. Right. <laughs> but by and large It's a partnership. It is. It's exactly that. And and yes Taking a chance on a, some new small press company to put on your shelf is doing them a, more of a favor than it's doing you. But what, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Marvel, DC, yep. Image, Dark Horse, Boom, whoever, who have these people 
in place to help you yes. as a retailer. But they're there to help. They're not there to hand out. Right. Right. Where did? How do we get on this, by the way? Long story short, Marvel, end of 2017, start of 2018, a little bit of controversy. Yeah, okay. But um, well, we do we do better work when we just go off on a rabbit hole tangent. It's true. Anyways, true. you got anything else you want to add about this? I mean, we've hit quite a bit, more yeah. than we planned to. No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I think that, uh, again, we, I hope... Marvel is, I hope that they're, that they've got a vision. I hope that they have an idea yes. of 2018, 2019, 2020 and beyond. Yep. And that they don't recycle these same ideas. Now, one thing. Yeah. If I see a Secret Wars 3. Or, or how about all new, all different. All Marvel now. now, all now, whatever. They need to jettison all of that. They need right. to stop. Just get making, back to making good. Product. And stop changing, stop renumbering. Yep. And, and that's something that we're not saying anything new. People have been saying that now for the last seven, eight years. However, legacy was touted as something that was going to be the new Marvel uh, response to the renumbering. We're going to bring and back our old readers and we're going to reinvigorate the new readers. Correct. <laughs> I don't believe that Marvel taking books like X-Men Blue and Gold that actually are selling well, canceling and then relaunching them is the answer. I don't think yeah. that that is the answer. I think that they need to just put a stopgap on uh, renumbers, relaunches, what have you. Now, renaming is one thing. Again, X-Men Blue becomes uh, uncanny. X-Men Gold becomes X-Men. Well, there's a precedent for that in there Marvel Comics there, there especially. There is a precedent because X-Men became uncanny. You, Captain and, America. Sure. Started absolutely. at 100. I mean, you've got um, there, there's a there's a number of historical precedents set for that. So that's not out of the ordinary. No. And I, and I share the same sentiments with you. I think that what Marvel needs to do is focus on the quality of their line, top to bottom. I do fervently believe that they need to look at titles and start to streamline, thin the herd a little bit in some fashion. I don't think that there's anything wrong with Marvel taking two or three titles of C, D, E level characters and making a team-up book out of it. So cancel three or four and come back with mm -hmm. one. That may actually be more exciting in some cases. So there's piece, there, there's there's a lot that they can do. There's a lot that they can play with. And I just hope that, to your point, we're not just renumbering for the sake of starting a new season. It's a new number one. Instead of four variants, we can have 11 variants. Or if they're going to do that, they need to stick to it. They need to do X-Men 2018 number one. X-Men 2019 number one. Right. And say we're going to have 12 issues in the annual of each one. Right. I, I would get that. I would understand that. But that Legacy, legacy was an Alonzo. Um, I hate to say Legacy, but it was a Legacy of Alonzo. Yeah, uh, it was, it was something that was spawned out of his term of editor in chief. If legacy is, and there have been a lot of rumors that legacy was more of a stopgap thing um, against a big like mid twenty eighteen Marvel relaunch. I think if Marvel, if Marvel were were to kind of tout it as a look, we've screwed up. 
rebirth style, like what DiDio did. Yeah. We screwed up. Rebirth is a, is a product of the past um, administration. And we are going to, we're going to start again, Marvel 2018. We're calling it Marvel, not Rebirth, but Marvel Reborn. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. All new number ones or something like that. Uh, going back to the core titles right, with the characters We're you limiting know. it to yeah. 40 titles, 50 titles. Yeah. We promise you that we, there will be no reboots on any of these titles for at least, you know, three years or something like that. I could see that working. If it just stays business as usual, uh, they're, they're, they're just going to hemorrhage more readers and, yeah. and we're going to hemorrhage more business and yep. it's not going to be good for anybody. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the first four months of 2018 hold. Mm-hmm. I think we can agree on that. Hey, and this is coming from guys who's a team of two. That's right. Destroy it, pub trivia. That's right. Teams of six. Yeah. Take them down. Taking them out. Well, uh, so that kind of gives you some insight into some of the Marvel stuff that you've been asking us about and how we respond to it. Some of the things that we look at, uh, how we handle ourselves. And, and let's be, be completely honest. We've talked in the past about, well, should we just turn on the mic and record while we do a, you know, an order at some month? And we've Maybe. thought about it, yes. And I think ultimately what we've decided is a couple of things. Number one, I don't know if anyone wants to sit around for four hours and listen to us just point at a screen and go, yeah, yeah, maybe, should we? Because that's really not, not that exciting. There's a lot more complaining than you'll get on one of these. Yeah, yeah, and we try to keep it pretty, at the very least, we try to critique as opposed to criticize. Right, right, right. right. And, and it's one of those things where I don't know how much value someone's going to get out of listening to us do an order as opposed to listening to us talk about how we structure an order. Mm. You know, So I think that there's a little more value in this. Episode. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe someday we uh, post order. We sit down and explain what we ordered and why, and the justification for what we ordered. But yeah. I think just yeah, the the idea of us recording an order is it's, it's, you're you're going to be bored, bored to out tears. of here. Yeah, heck, we're bored to tears doing the orders oh half the God, time. <laughs> and we but, have beer. And I mean, yeah, it's so right, boring. right? Because if, if let me tell you, it's late nights. But um, no, so hopefully. You know, again, this answers some of those questions. I'm sure there's more lingering questions out there. So if you have them, you can tweet us. You can email us. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, if you're on the, what, we've got the comic book page Slack. We've got the uh, the CCL Cafe Slack that I'm on that you can reach out to me at. So there's there's multiple ways to, to track us down. We're not that hard to find. We're, we're business. We try to. Hell, call the store. Yeah. 262-569-9999. Um, and if you call us off hours and you get a very attractive sounding man, uh, on the outgoing message, that's me. Um, but no, so either way, we're happy to, uh, to discuss this in, in more detail if anyone has questions, but outside of that, I think we'll wrap her up. Hey, yeah, I'm done. All right. So for James and myself, we'll talk to you on episode 39 next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash Incredicow, on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. 
To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com. Thank you.